Most of us uh, will be familiar with that uh, method of catching a monkey. You need a jar in which the monkey can get his paw into when his fingers are open. You put something in the jar the monkey wants, like something like a fruit. And then you put the jar somewhere temporarily where the monkey is likely to find it. And so the monkey will reach his hand into the jar to get the fruit. And he closes his hand around the fruit. But as he tries to get his hand out, he can't. And while he hangs on to the fruit, he cannot get escape and he is caught. The only way that he can escape is to let go of the fruit and let his hand out. The meaning of this passage that we're looking at this morning is also similar. It is evident of a meeting that Jesus had with an eager young man who initiated a conversation by approaching Jesus. And the story of this rich young man can be found not only here in Mark's Gospel, but we also find it in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 19 and in Luke um, 18. And part of this Jesus encounter was an opportunity also for to teach his disciples and us another important lesson about being a follower of Jesus. You see, we know from Matthew and from Luke's account that this young man, similar to Nicodemus, had been born into a rich family. He received a good education. He knew the scriptures. He was a law-abiding citizen, a prominent well-known citizen, in fact, but relatively young. He belongs to the ruling class of the Jewish society. And he belong, and his social decorum and his conduct added to his successful life. He'd been blessed with keen intellect. He had a proactive disposition. He excelled in whatever he initiated. Be like a dream son for most of us. And consequently, his material possessions had multiplied so that he was counted now amongst the richer people in Israel. And there wouldn't have been too many wealthy people in Israel around that time. And so in many respects, success had brought him to the top of the economic world. Nevertheless, he knows that his success has failed to make him happy. He's aware of an emptiness that has left a hollow feeling in his inner being. And he realises that when he dies, his possessions won't be able to help him in the afterlife. So what does he have to do then to prepare himself for the afterlife? And although he is a religious person and though he attends the worship services at the synagogue, this persistent dissatisfaction in his spiritual life kept bothering him to the degree that he needs spiritual counsel. You see, just, just attending worship 
just following religious practices, just living a moral life, did not do on its own bring him into a close relationship with God. And when he hears Jesus is coming through the, through the area, he immediately realises that this Galilean teacher will be able to help him. He had evidently been present when Jesus had answered the Pharisees' questions on divorce. He had seen Jesus blessing the children and rebuking the, uh, the disciples, telling them that they must become like a child if they're going to enter the kingdom of God. And something awakened Something awakened in this young man's heart as he listens to Jesus. If only he could get near to Jesus and if he could ask him a question that has been on his mind for some time. Because suddenly he sees then the opportunity that, that Jesus isn't occupied. So he runs up to him and out of deep respects fall on, falls on his knees in front of him. And the young man asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, the standard Jewish answer to that question would be something to do with keeping the Jewish laws, the commands of God through Moses. He is striving to live a morally upright life. He is privileged to inherited riches. And these two thoughts demanded top priority in his mind, so he includes them in his question. He has inherited earthly possessions because his father, upon his death, had bequeathed his estate to his son. And now this young man asks whether how he can inherit life in the hereafter. His commendable question reveals vital concerns on how to live now and on how to get oneself ready for life eternally. Our earthly life is fairly short, whereas our eternal life continues on forever. What does it mean for him? to be forever in the presence of God and to be enjoying the riches of heaven. Jesus has, brings a straightforward and succinct answer, succinct answer to this young man. And he asks him, why do you call me good? For no one is good except one, namely God. For Jesus points to the, orig the origin of goodness and he directs the ruler's attention to God. And his law. The source of all that is good is God, from all from, from which all earthly and heavenly blessings flow. And Jesus is probing this young man. He is seeking to see if he is willing to investigate and to learn. He is willing to see how teachable he is. How much of is he a learner as God seeks to speak into his life? 
Now, often in his teachings, Jesus referred to the Ten Commandments, which every uh, good Jewish person sought to uphold and obey. So what then does the young man have to do to become an heir to salvation? And Jesus has the answer ready for him. He says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness or false testimony. You, will not, you shall not defraud. You shall honour your father and your mother. The young man knows and honours these basic rules. They were regularly taught in the synagogues and in the, all the religious settings. And he could testify that he had lived a moral and an upright life and has obeyed these commands ever since his childhood. Because he tells Jesus, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Now, although his answer does tend to display a degree of self-righteousness and superficiality, at the same time he expresses an uneasiness that has driven him to Jesus in the first place. In Mark's account, it is Jesus who responds, there is one thing you lack. In Matthew's account, it's the young man himself who asks the question, what do I still lack? And in either case, it demonstrates a spiritual need that has remained unfulfilled. He needs spiritual guidance to overcome the emptiness that he still feels despite all the blessings that he has. He needs spiritual guidance to give him a sense of inner peace, of peace of mind. And as Jesus looks over this kneeling young man, as Darrell reminded us, a great sense where Jesus looks at him and loves him. He sees a man here who's open hearted a beautiful, moral, young man. Jesus sees a person who is ever so close to becoming a child of the kingdom. But the man lacks one thing. And that's his inability to part with the money that has made life so enjoyable for him. He keeps God's commands, but he's failed in respect to loving his neighbour as himself. Lots of rich, sorry, lots of less rich people would have been doing their best to make friends with him, to work with him, hoping that maybe he would pass on some of his wealth to them. But he's like the monkey. He's got his hand in the jar. And his fists won't let go. He's got a tight grip on his possessions. And unless he's prepared to loosen his grip and leave them behind, he cannot become free. His lifestyle 
demonstrates self-centeredness and neglect for the poor. For while he lounged in luxury with his abundant possessions, his neighbours felt the daily scourge of grinding poverty. Jesus then instructs this young man with words that go straight to his heart when he says, if you wish to be perfect or to be complete, go and sell all you have. Give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. See, Jesus wants his people to be complete, totally dedicated to his service, not half and half people with one foot in the kingdom and the other in the world. This young man had to choose whether to keep his material wealth or to follow Jesus as his disciple. And if he decides to keep his possessions, he will diminish and eventually lose his spirituality. But if he sells his assets and distributes his money, he'll lay up treasures in heaven. So for him, it was God or money. And with a fallen face, this rich young man opts for the second and he turns away from Jesus. He trusts more in his earthly possessions than in Jesus who offers him eternal riches. He isn't antagonistic. He isn't aggressive. He isn't even disagreeable. He just leaves. Very sad. In response, Jesus takes the opportunity to speak to his disciples. And he speaks to them about the risk of affluence, how difficult it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, of course, refers to God's sovereign saving rule to transform everything in this life and next. He points out that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to gain entrance into the kingdom of God. Anyone who chooses riches above God have no right place in his family. Now, does this mean that we have to sell our possessions and distribute all our money to the poor? Is the price for attaining completion or perfection so high that we have to all live in poverty? Are poor people the only ones who are complete because they don't own any possessions? Can we accumulate treasures in heaven and still have earthly riches? Do we as Jesus' followers have to live like poverty-stricken people? The answer to all those questions is no. Not necessarily, yes. If our wealth gets in the way of loving the Lord our God with all our heart 
and soul and mind and strength and loving our neighbour as ourselves. The key to this passage is in the last sentence that many are first will be last and the last will be first. And he's referring to our attitude towards things, recognising that we are stewards of what is God's anyway. The things that God has given us belong to him, not us. And if he takes it away, it wasn't ours to start with. Writing to Timothy, Paul comments on people who have accumulated riches when he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, nor to put their hope in the uncertainty of wealth, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We know from all the four Gospels that Jesus did not call his disciples to have to give away all their possessions. It's not a commandment given to everybody. Not all people are burdened by their possessions as this young man was. In this case, this young man, Jesus sensed that his possessions had become his idol, his alternative God. In his case, the challenge was radical because of his strong attachment to his wealth. God knows precisely what it is in our hearts that is needed as we are called to serve him as his disciples. We all have something like this in our lives. And from a global perspective, all of us here this morning are wealthy, quite wealthy. We all are rich and have treasure all kinds of treasures. The challenge to us is which of our particular treasures are we holding on to tightly? How lightly do we need to open our hands to hold things more loosely? if we're going to be a follower of Jesus. Is our treasure our careers? Is our treasure our workplace? Is it our jobs? Is it our hobbies? Is it our sport? Is it our social life? Is it our performance and our skills? Is it our family? Is it our retirement? Is it our assets or whatever? How tightly do we hold onto them over and above God? Because the call here is to hold things with open, ha open hands. 
God may not want us to give up any of that. But he wants us to be prepared to put him first. Or we risk losing our salvation. These are all good things. Gifts from God in their place. But they are secondary. They are secondary to seeking first the kingdom of God and a right relationship with him and with others. We hold our wealth, our work and so on in an open palm. Lest, like this rich young man, we end up turning away sorrowfully from God. It's up to each of us to examine our own hearts, to look at our own lives and to see what is holding us back from serving God with the completeness that Jesus longs for. Let me pray. Father, reveal to each of us those things that we hold on to tightly. whether it be in our work, our wealth, our jobs, our hobbies, our sports, our skills, our family, our retirement, power in some ways, influence, whatever it might be. Father, help us to open our hands and to offer them to you. Speak into our lives, we pray. Reveal to each of us what it is that we hold too tightly. And help us, Lord, to open our hands. Amen.